the weekend really is over, isn't it? We're a few hours into Monday, and I guess that proves it. You're not outside on a patio, are you? Boy, this was a perfect patio weekend. Sunfest was fantastic. I want to know, were the tents higher? I haven't talked to Alfredo Kashik about this, but I found almost the tents where everybody had their stuff, all of the vendors, all of the food merchants, everything seemed higher. Or am I just a year older and gravity's pulling me closer to the earth? I used to be 5'8 and 3 quarters. Now I'm 5'8 and a half. So maybe I'm shorter than, am I under 5'8 now? Because I found that as we walked along through Sunfest, you take a look at fantastic stuff that they had on tap. Everybody's very friendly. The crowds are good. I still don't get the bikes. I know there aren't a lot of places to put your bike, but if... If you bike to Sunfest, you seem to be getting in everyone's way when you walked your bike through Sunfest. I don't get that. But as you walk along, all of a sudden, if you didn't make the hairpin turn at Wellington and Central, you were kind of kicked out into the street. Not physically, but you had to make that. You didn't know it was coming. And then you wound around and then all of a sudden, oh, look, it's, it's the stage. And you didn't know it was coming because everything just seemed taller. Or I'm just getting shorter. This show will feature all kinds of different things, as usual. We are going to talk about the latest mayoral candidate. Now, the papers have to go in, it looks like, on Thursday. There will be a formal announcement Thursday at 11.30 a.m. at Innovation Works. And thanks to Devin Peacock for all of his work on this story for 980 CFPL News. And thanks to Lenny Lambrink as well. So we do know that Ed Holder has not been in politics since 2015. We do know that he has a lot of political experience. And if name recognition gets you in the door... Ed Holder is already sitting at the table. So what does this do to the race? Well, we'll discuss that in just a moment. We'll get some expert insight. Also want to get your insight on it. If you want to weigh in on what you feel this does to the race, there are 11 candidates for mayor. Ed Holder, as of Thursday at 1130 at Innovation Works, would become number 12. And the biggest names, you'd have to say, Tanya Park, Paul Pilato, Paul Chang, Stephen Orser, And now Ed Holder. Name recognition is big in municipal politics. Always has been. We'll actually hear from one of those people, Paul Chang, at about 1.35 today. Get his thoughts on how his campaign is going. We are also going to talk with new fire chief, Lori Hamer. She's been acting fire chief. And now we'll take on the position full-time. Congratulations to Chief Hamer. She'll join us on the show. Lots to talk about. Eight boys now saved from the cave in Thailand. They're not sure whether they're going to get the next four out tomorrow or the next day. We'll have to look at that at some point. And I need your help from a personal standpoint because we're 0 for 2. And I'm not sure what else to do. We have a blue bin. It's not a recycling bin, but we put out. I don't know, sometimes four bins of recycling. Two of them are official recycling bins. Two of them are like blue bins. But we just put them out and, you know, they might have bottles in them or plastic or paper or whatever. And we've never had a problem. They're always emptied. And then we go and collect them, put them back in the garage, and recycling begins again. You know the way. Well, we have a blue bin that has 
a cracked bottom to the point that some of it has broken off. So we're trying to throw out a recycling bin. Now, this isn't an official recycling bin. It's just a blue bin. And the first week, we put a little note on it saying, please take this, leaned it up against the garbage, kind of between the garbage and the recycling, because I'm not sure what it is. Is it garbage? Is it recycling? I don't know. And I don't know whether the note blew off. I was the one who put it on, so that probably happened. I apologize to any of my neighbors who received a note that said, please take this. There was nothing attached to this. Oh, thank you for the piece of paper. Please take this. What, the duct tape? And it wasn't taken. It was left behind. So we thought, okay, that didn't work. So the next week, we took the lid off the garbage, put the blue bin on the garbage, thinking that'll do it. And when everything was collected, the garbage was gone, the recycling had been emptied, and that blue bin with the hole in the bottom was still there. How do I throw out a blue bin? Is it a combination of note and putting it on the garbage? Do I recycle it? If you can help, I need it. Please email me, mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can send an email anytime. You can tweet me at Stubbs980, and you can call 519-643-2222 at any point. But I can't throw away this blue bin. I'm dumbfounded and stymied. And it's Monday. Let's turn to Ed Holder and the race for mayor in London, Ontario. Again, he is expected to make his official announcement at Innovation Works on Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Devin Peacock's done some great work in behind the scenes. You can go to 980cfpl.ca and you can get all kinds of information. But we want to get some reaction to this. And if you want to give some reaction, well, get set for that. But first, I want to turn to someone who's been following politics in this city for a very long time. He has worked as a professor at Western University in political science. He is Professor Andrew Sancton, and he joins us now. Professor Sancton, how are you? I'm pretty good, thanks, Mike. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. I can't wait to get your thoughts on this. A long time, but maybe not recent political figure in London, is looking to be entering the race. Reports are Thursday. Ed Holder, what is your reaction? bit surprised that it's uh, this uh, late, but I'm not surprised that we've got kind of a heavyweight uh, uh, politician in there now because, uh, you know, mayor of London is a, a serious job, and uh, the people who were running uh, uh, so far uh, aren't that well uh, known, and uh, I think uh, Ed Holder saw an opportunity here. Let's start with the timing, because definitely later than... When you could declare, I am in, uh, is that a disadvantage in any way? Could it even be an advantage? Um, it depends what kind of an organization he has. If everything's all set to go, uh, I don't think it makes much difference. Uh, I don't think people have been paying too much attention to the uh, mayoral race or any municipal race because of the provincial election. Uh, the real action is going to be in the uh, autumn anyway. Uh, so um, I don't think it's a serious problem uh, for him. We do, when we last talked, I said a week in politics is a long time, and uh, you know we've already had a major uh, announcement since uh, since then, or we will be having a major announcement. So um, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a big disadvantage for him starting late like this. 
Professor Andrew Sankton joining us as we look at the report that is out. You can read it at 980cfpl.ca that Ed Holder is going to be declaring on Thursday that he will enter the mayoral race in London. If we look at a politician, and this happens sometimes, who has experience at other levels of politics, be it federal, be it provincial, going into municipal politics, challenges there? What do you see? Uh, another good question. Uh, there's been quite a few federal politicians who've moved to municipal politics. Uh, Joe Fontana, of course, being uh, known not just in London but around the around the country, but uh, uh, in Montreal, in uh, the city of Vaughan, uh, it's happened uh, quite a bit. I think the main uh, problem or issue for politicians at other levels is that um, uh, they've got to get used to working in an uh, environment in which there aren't established political parties. Uh, Joe Fontana clearly uh, wanted to have kind of his own political party, the Fontana 8, and uh, you know got himself into a little difficulty there. So uh, I think the trick for uh, Holder, well, first of all, he's going to want to appeal to a lot of people other than uh, conservatives, and that might be a bit of a challenge. And then if he does get elected... Um, uh, working with uh, a nonpartisan uh, council is a, it's a challenge, but you know municipal politics name recognition is a big deal, and uh, you know that's his uh, that's his main advantage. That's what he'll be working with. You don't have parties, you do have leanings, and you mentioned it's important to reach out beyond maybe the conservative supporters that Ed Holder would have already. How does one go about doing something like that? Well, uh, I guess you, you uh, start off by not having blue and white signs. Um, if you're a conservative in Canada, um, you don't give any any indication that you're uh, working with a uh, from a particular political party perspective, and uh, you keep constantly saying that you want to work for everybody, not just for uh, a party. And you know that's a, a plausible uh, line of argument. I think people will accept that. And uh, so, again, I don't think it's a serious uh, challenge. I think the big issue for him, as for the other candidates, will be establishing a position on the BRT. And I have no idea what Ed Holder's views are on the BRT. I'll be anxiously awaiting them because I do think that's going to be the issue. Uh, will he try to be in the middle like Paletto or, uh, um, you know, take a stronger position one way or the other? I think that's that's going to be the real challenge for him and for most candidates. Professor Andrew Sankton joining us as we look at Ed Holder. The report is he will declare that he is joining the mayoral race on Thursday. One last thing, Professor Sankton, and that is of the candidates, whether they be Tanya Park or Paul Chang or Paul Pilato, do you think any of them is looking at this and saying, uh-oh? I really don't know, but I my hunch would be that the one who's in the most trouble as a result of Holder would be Pauletto because uh, my guess is that Holder will try to be a kind of middle of the road uh, candidate, and that seems to be the position that Pauletto is uh, uh, was trying to carve out. And uh, Holder simply has more uh, political uh, weight and recognition and everything else than than Pauletto does. So yeah, that's Pauletto is the guy who I think is most threatened by this. Professor Sankton, thank you so much for your insight. Okay, fine, Mike. Bye. Bye-bye. Political science professor Andrew Sankton. If you want to weigh in, what does this do to the race?
change the way that you're feeling? Give us a call, 519-643-2222. Ed Holder set to join the race. What would you think of Ed Holder as mayor of London? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Thank you for the response already on how to throw away a recycle bin. And Rose has also added to it. Rose says, I have been trying to figure out how to throw out cracked and broken laundry baskets. Hope you get a good answer. We'll see what we come up with. Phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Tweet me at Stubbs980. Back with your reaction on Ed Holder, set to join the race. Next, this is London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Your reaction on Ed Holder, set to join the race for mayor of London in just a moment. But we're also getting some suggestions at least some sympathy for trying to throw away a recycling bin i have a blue bin it's not officially a recycling bin it doesn't say recycling bin it's a little off blue color it's more sky blue than what color is a recycling bin what is that is that royal blue i don't know what color that is is that kelly blue is there a kelly is it kelly green i don't know but it's a little lighter so it's not actually a recycling bin. It's cracked. It's broken in the bottom. We've got to get rid of this thing. Karen says, put the blue bin into a garbage bag and tie it up. Okay, that's that's fantastic advice. I want to avoid using the garbage bag, though. Is there a way to do it without? And Sean says, your quest is very relatable. Oh, Thank you for the sympathy. He says, I tried the same thing twice. The first time... I waited for the truck and placed it in myself at week three. So that means there was an 0 for 2 in this. That's where I am. So I wait for the truck tomorrow? I don't know if I'm home. The second time, it was left in place for six weeks in a row, says Sean. The condition of the second bin was in more distress. It was smashed and split down the middle. Eventually, I split the bin in two, placed it in a very large construction black bag where it counted as one of my bags. At the end of the day, well, frustrating times. So, Sean, thank you. I appreciate the sympathy. But Sean said black bag. Karen says black bag. May have to do it. Let's go to the phones right now and talk about exactly how you feel regarding Ed Holder being a possibility for mayor of London. Richard, you've got the first thought on this. Good afternoon. How are you this afternoon, Mike? Better than I'm talking to you. Well, that's good. I always enjoy talking to you as well. I've got a quick question for you, Mike, before I make my comment on Ed Holder. Can you tell me, right, as you know, I was gone a few decades here from uh, southern Ontario and from London in particular. Is this the first time London's ever had a female fire chief? I believe it is. That's one of the questions I'm going to ask. But yes, I believe it is. Well, I think that's fantastic. Me too. As long as she was hired on her qualifications and not on her gender, and she has the respect of the rank and file, as well as the interest of average Londoners, I think it's fantastic we got a female in a position like that. Now, let's talk about Ed Holder. I heard Professor Andrew Sancton there. He said he didn't know Ed's position when it came to BRT. Now, out of respect for AM 980, I'm not going to mention the radio station, but I listened to an interview one time, right, that Ed Holder did, and he was not a supporter of BRT, but he was a supporter, right, of an improved transit system for all of Londoners, particularly the industrial area where all the jobs out there are going begging, and the reasoning they're going begging, Mike, is because there's no public transportation to them. So that was Ed Holder's position at that time, right, when it came to BRT. His position might have changed now, so I'll leave that up to him to tell us, right, if he's done a flip on that. 
But what I've heard of Ed Holder, he doesn't strike me as a man, right, that says one thing one day and then something totally different the next day. Anyways, right, as for Ed Holder being a candidate in the Mariority uh, race, right, I think it's fantastic. And if Stephen Orser, if he was not a candidate, I would certainly support, right, um, Ed Holder. But having said that, I have to go with Steve Orser. He was a fantastic city councillor. I really enjoyed having him as my councillor in Ward 4. And believe me, he's one of the best councillors I ever had other than one in Regina. And I don't say that very lightly. So as long as Steve Orser's in the race, obviously Steve will have my support. But if Steve ever dropped off and decided, right, to run against uh, councillor Jesse Helmer, right, in our Ward 4, right, then naturally Steve would have my support right there. Oh, would he ever have my support there. But anyways, right, and naturally Ed Holder would have my support in the Mariority race. Thank you. I've had my two minutes, Mike, and you have a nice afternoon. Have a great afternoon, Richard. 519-643-2222. Rail, what do you think? Hi, it's Rail here. Um, I'm a total supporter of Ed coming forward at this point. I mean, his, his record is outstanding in this city. What he has given back to this city in charitable work alone, never, never mind the fact that he was a cabinet minister in the, in, the last, um, in the last federal election. I think Ed would be an outstanding mayor. He, he has the courage of his convictions. He will follow up on things he promised. So I just wish Ed the best, best of luck. Real, thanks so much for the call. You're welcome. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Marilyn, how do you feel about this? Well, I always bring up the rear, don't I? Never. <laughs> you are you are first in my line every day. Oh, thank you, sweetie. Did you get my uh, program? I have not received it yet, oh, but remember, last time it took, it took 20 a while. days. Isn't that disgraceful? Well, anyways, dear, when I, I got part of the breaking news, like I was vacuuming, mm-hmm. and I got part, and it said West London, a candidate running for mayor, and oh, I thought, boy, that's Andrew Lawton. <laughs> it's Ed Holder, and he should announce on Thursday at 11.30, Marilyn, so we'll, well see how that works out. Well, you know, I think we've got a good list of candidates running. And I would love to see, I think his first name is Phil Squire. Phil Squire. Mm-hmm. He's a counselor right now. Oh, in I'd love to see. If he ran, I would vote for him. And mm-hmm. I like Stephen Orsirk. All right. Well, I think this man's going to be a good shot in the arm. Marilyn, good luck finishing up the vacuuming. Okay. Take Maybe care. you'll do it for me. Hey, I, I do it at home. Oh, really? Good. Yeah. Lucky wife. <laughs> Take care. Okay, dear. Bye-bye. Well, if I listed all the things that my wife did that I don't have to do, yeah, uh, I do the vacuuming. Before we close out, Harold, you have an idea on throwing out blue bins? Yeah, it's got to have a number on the bottom of it before the city guys will take it. Wait a minute, a number? Yep. I just pick any number? Well, it's got to be stamped on the bottom of the box. It's a recyclable plastic. Ah, so maybe that's maybe it's not a recyclable plastic. That's a possibility, sir. Harold, that's brilliant. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to have to find out what kind of a plastic it is. It's blue. Does that help? Probably not. News is coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle. We'll talk more about Ed Holder entering the mayoral race. Looks to be Thursday at 11.30 in the morning. We'll hear from Paul Chang. And we're also going to head to Stratford in the next half hour to talk autonomous vehicles. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We're talking about a few things this half hour. We will head to Stratford. 
likely before the next news with Jacqueline LaBelle. And we're going to get an update on autonomous vehicles. Remember back in November, Stratford was picked as the place for the autonomous vehicle innovation network. They've got a track, 80 million bucks from the liberals. Well, now the conservatives are in power. Anything change? Or is everything still a go in Stratford for the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network? Because the idea there is to create basically a blueprint. I mean, let's face it. We'll talk with Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson about this, but I'll give you a little hint as to one of the things that Dan is going to talk about in a few minutes. In other countries, we have had some pretty tragic things happen. We've had autonomous vehicles hit pedestrians. We've had autonomous vehicles hit other vehicles. And Ontario, for one, is not doing it that way. This is not the way that they're not, they're just not going to unleash these vehicles on the world. Here you go. Drive them around, and if they hit something, we'll make a note. Say, hmm, fix a bug there or something. Seems to have hit a pedestrian. Shouldn't have that. Let's Try to do better next time. See you later. So that's not the way that Ontario is doing things. Ontario, making use of Stratford primarily, is trying to come up with sort of a blueprint. And then maybe other municipalities can dig in once all of this stuff is set. And it's much safer that way. So we'll get an update on, number one, that the program is continuing. And number two, where it is. And then number three... When can we go to Stratford and ride in an autonomous vehicle? Because that's something that I wouldn't mind doing. You? So, that's coming up. We are talking about Ed Holder looking to enter the race for mayor. And this appears to be all set for a big announcement on Thursday morning at 11.30 at Innovation Works. If you want to still give your reaction on that, please feel free to do so. Phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. Welcome back from Chicago to Rob. And Rob just sent an email saying, I was leaning between the two Pauls before today's announcement, being Paul Chang, Paul Pilato. Now I'm leaning between Mr. Holder and Mr. Pilato. Uh, Rob also gave a suggestion on where I might be able to throw out a bin because I can't seem to get rid of this recycling-type bin. So I'll let you know. 519-643-2222. We are going to speak with Paul Chang as well this half hour, but the phone lines are open for you right now. 519-643-2222. What do you feel this does to the race when you see Ed Holder Basically saying, I mean, the papers are not there, the the declaration has not been made, the announcement has not been made, but there are some very good sources, and Devin Peacock's done a great job on this, that have said this is what's happening. Ed Holder's name is coming into the mayoral race. Let's go to the phones. 519-643-2222. Sandra, how do you feel about this? It's made my day. Because we need people running to run this city who are of good quality. And Ed Holder is articulate, he's thoughtful, he's smart, and he will do us proud. And he is just one of a couple of other candidates, too, that have some integrity. But Ed Holder is just awesome. I am thrilled to pieces that he would put his name forward to lead this city. Sandra, thank you for taking the time to call today. You're welcome. Take care. 519-643-2222. Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mike. 
Um, yeah, I, I couldn't have said it a whole lot better than Sandra there. Um, I've met Ed, and I mean, London really needs Ed to run for mayor and to elect him. Because, I mean, you know full well the past couple of interesting characters we've had and who have not represented London very well whatsoever. And Ed Holder would represent anywhere he ran with just, I mean, the gravitas of that man, I can't say enough about him. I mean, I, I'm hoping he announces, I don't even live in London, but I'll go and cut him a check myself. <laughs> Chris, thank you for that. And that's been the reaction that we've had so far. So a lot of positive reaction coming in. In a moment, we'll see just how positive one of the people who would be running against Ed Holder is. Paul Chang will join us on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFBL. We have 11 candidates for the mayor of London. Looks like we're about to have 12. The 12th would be Ed Holder. All you need in a good mayoral race is quality people. And if you know Ed Holder, you know he fits that description and then some. So, But he joins some other quality individuals, and he also joins a race that could wind up overshadowing at least the rest of the races in this city. Because we talked about this last week, we're getting closer and closer to the deadline for anybody to declare their candidacy for any of the particular wards. And we don't have as many people running as we've had in the past. In fact, going back to just last week, you would have four people who could just be acclaimed. In other words, yeah, uh, you're the only one in the race. So feel free to take your time getting around the track because nobody's running with you. You win. Congratulations. There are four people who could be in that particular situation. So the mayor, well, that's going to be the big one, and already it is shaping up to be a very big one. But when you have somebody like Ed Holder, who is set to enter the race for mayor, looks like Thursday, what does that mean for other candidates? Well, we've been able to track down one of those candidates to find out. Mr. Paul Chang joins us on the phone. Mr. Chang, you've heard the story. What is your immediate reaction? That's wonderful. The people of London will have more choices, Mike. Now, at the same time, you've got another formidable person as far as competition goes. Is that any kind of factor? Mike, I think the people of London see that it's the old school and then there's a modern London that I want to bring us into. Uh, Paul Chang. There's that. That's the only difference, Mike. As far as the entire mayoral race goes, we're going to start seeing things heat up. What are you hearing right now from people that you talk to on a daily basis? Mike, the, depends on the age group. Uh, people of London have many multiple issues. The seniors have have certain concerns. The younger generation have other concerns, and as you know, the BRT is a big thing, and I think it's it's just not good for London. So um, 
But the overall theme is they want change. So it's Chang for change, Mike, if I may just put a little plug in there. (laughs) Paul Chang with us, mayoral (laughs) candidate. In the upcoming municipal election, we're talking about reports that Ed Holder is joining the mayoral race. You also mentioned that you're getting kind of different views from the younger sector, from maybe people who who have lived in London a little longer. As far as the, the concerns, the needs, wants of young people, what are you hearing from them? Overall, it is jobs, but there is the perception, to my eyes, that people are ready and they want change, like honest, real change, not just to change the ponies on the same carousel, but a whole, just just a different mindset altogether. And how do you provide that? Put someone from the, from, with, um, put a candidate with real world experience, put a a pro-business candidate into the office, into City Hall. That's the only way we can get change, Mike. Because if we're going to put the same type of people in there, we'll get the same results. Now, if we look at, say, seniors in London, what are you hearing from them? The subsidy for the bus fares. Um, and also, there's some other issues with the medical and the, the hospital. But those are bigger issues that's beyond uh, our control in the city. But as far as adding Ed Holder, who has been a politician for many years in this city, you look at this as a positive. I'm neutral. It, it's Mr. Holder runs his campaign. You know, Chang runs our campaign. We we do um, we do us. You know, they do them. As far as what's ahead in your campaign, what can you tell us? I'm out there. Our team is is. Um, Making, you know, organizing the um, uh, the basics, you know, the necessities, the polls, uh, the prints, the ads, and all that, the fundraisers. Because this time I can't do it on my own. Uh, we have to ask the people for help uh, for the for the advertisement and um, and fundraising. So it's it's a little bit different this time. The first time you ran, how much of it did you do on your own? I paid. I put in. I think about a hundred and thirty some odd thousand and. I didn't ask for money, but um, folks from all walks contributed, I think, around thirteen or $14,000. But I would do it again gladly. Um, but the law has changed, so I just it, it, I, I must ask the people for contributions. I have to. Okay. Is this your final run at things? If, if things weren't to work out this time, would that be it for you? Let's let's hope for the positive. We're very hopeful we can uh, be elected into City Hall and make some positive changes for the City of London. Let's just hope for that scenario first, Mike. All right. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. London Mayor candidate Paul Chang. So, he welcomes it, and as he says... Ed Holder's camp will do them. He'll do him. We'll see what happens on October 22nd. We'll take a break. Up next, we're headed to Stratford, home of autonomous vehicles, home of the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network. It is still continuing, right? This this is still going forward because I still want to know, maybe instead of how BRT is, is going to, you know, move itself forward, how maybe if we... If we just we don't go full steam ahead on that and we watch Stratford for another couple of years, what might come out that could be more useful for London 
than bus rapid transit. But we won't talk about those angles. We will look at whether or not the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network is going forward and where exactly it sits right now. It was unveiled last November. We'll get an update from Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson next. We are also going to talk to London's new fire chief, no longer interim fire chief, new fire chief, Lori Hamer. That comes up at 2.15. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Back in November of 2017, there was an announcement that Stratford would be home to the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network. $80 million was tied up in the project. It's time to get an update. How is that thing going? Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson is here to give us an update right now on the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network. Mayor Matheson, how are things on a Monday? Uh, Things are great on a Monday. It's beautiful weather and we're enjoying a great summer and tourists are flocking to Stratford like always. Good, good. We're not seeing those tourists in autonomous vehicles just yet, but you know what? That's still on the horizon, right? That hasn't changed with a change in government? It's still on the horizon. The uh, Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network, even as it's called, is still well underway doing its planning. We still have the autonomous test track in Stratford where there are cars uh, being tested uh, daily on that track, and the planning is still continuing on how the larger five-year program will roll out. Okay, remind us at the end of the five-year program what they hope to have done. Well, the government's hoping by then they'll have uh, done three things. One is incubate the software and hardware development for autonomous vehicles in the industries in Ontario so that we'll have a, a new and emerging opportunity for manufacturers and developers to be part of that new economy of how the car is going to work. Uh, two, they're hoping that they'll have become an area for research and innovation uh, within this within the university sectors uh, across Ontario. That's why there's six sites that they're working with, and of course, Western and, and Windsor are one that have combined to do it as well. And three, they're hoping that they'll have best practices uh, for legislation and municipal bylaws of what can and can't happen with autonomous vehicles. And with that, they're hoping that they'll have a level five autonomy uh, vehicle. Uh, approved. Okay, so everything would be in place to then take that blueprint and say, hey, any other cities want this? And then they take it and go? Is that the idea? Yeah, basically. The thing to think about here, Mike, is that uh, the government today, an autonomous vehicle could roll down any road, any municipal street in the province of Ontario based on the legislation that's there now. But what they're really wanting to do, because most municipalities are very not scared, but, you know, leery of how they progress. I think the province is hoping to give them the best guideposts they can to say, okay, this is how we can move forward. Is there anything that you've had to tell residents of Stratford to be ready for? Or because, I mean, we hear about issues that have happened with autonomous vehicles. You've got the test track, but ultimately these would hit the streets at some point, right? Yeah. So one of the things we very clearly articulate for one is that, you know, that's why they're on a test track to start. And if they ever do go on roads, they'll have security and safety precautions around them to make sure they're safe. This isn't like it is in the U.S. where they just throw the floodgates open and they start heading down streets. That's not what we're doing here. We are working in a way to make sure that we can meet the safety and security precautions that are needed and to meet people's expectations. Uh, I think that's the biggest fear most people have. And then the next one is, how does this improve my life or what does it do for my community? How is this good? And I think that's a societal discussion that's going to have to take place over the next four or five years. And we're starting to see different companies come forward, different researchers on things they'd like to look at and how they can improve quality of life uh, within communities by doing this.
We're talking with Dan Matheson, who is the mayor of Stratford here on London Live on a sunny Monday. We're talking about the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network. Let's look at where you sit right now. The test track is there. The aims and goals are there. But how far along is all of this? Because let's remember, it was only 2017 that this was announced. Yeah, it was November of 2017. Uh, what we're seeing now is a lot of the automakers, and I don't want to disclose because they all haven't come out, but there's four or five of them already signed up. There's going to be others that are signing up to put vehicles into this test market to say, okay, we will come in and test. We will share data. We will share uh, some of our non-proprietary research. There is then also going to be the opportunity for Tier 1 suppliers, people that are going to be making those parts that are going to be needed to say, I'd like to be part of this, and how do I do it? And then there's the hardware makers. People that say, hey, look, I have the best stoplight system going, and I can actually help you by collecting data and help you better manage the city's assets and know how many cars go down that street during what period and all those great things and how the analytics of a work. That's really where we're at in trying to assemble all those different partners to say, okay, here's the thesis. Here's what we're going to do with this project. Here's the thesis, and here's what we're going to do with this one. And then we're going to settle on a number of projects that we think are our best chance and then move forward from there. What kind of reaction have you had to this? Because we get the sense that people are kind of contacting you saying, here's what I could do. Yeah. Well, it is. It's been very, uh, we're getting a great reaction. Uh, we've been, I was in Japan and Asia uh, last year with the premier prior, prior to the end of the year, just after this was announced. And we had uh, the president of Aishin Canada, or sorry, Aishin Worldwide. They have a factory here in Stratford. Now, it's a $50 billion company. They wanted to sit down with us because in Japan they're doing some of this research now and they wanted to know how they get into the North American market. We have companies from the Intelligent Transportation System uh, Symposium, which is a worldwide group in Copenhagen. And in September, we've been asked to go speak there. And that is probably the top of all the companies, researchers, all going to be there. They want to know what we're doing. So we are actually getting lots of inquiry. The biggest challenge we have is vetting through and saying, that's a really neat concept you have, sir. Not necessary for what we want to do, and we're going to move on to something else. <laughs> and how often do you run into things like that? Yeah, exactly. It's a first-world problem to have, but it's one that we're, uh, we're getting used to. We're talking with Dan Matheson. He is the mayor of Stratford. We're looking at the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network. When this was announced, everybody expected, okay, well, Stratford's going to be the place, and if I go there, they'll be driving all around the roads, and, and that, like you've outlined, is not necessarily the case. When do you see the next big eureka headline kind of moment? What would that be? I, I think as we head towards November of this year, which will be the one-year anniversary of when the network was announced, I think by then you'll hear exactly what uh, the rollout's going to look like. Uh, and they'll do the 12-month projection, the you know the 36- and the 60-month projection at that point. We're going to lay out what the communication strategy will be, where people can check in and see what's going on. We're going to have a web presence. We're going to make sure that we push communications out. So I think that's what we're working towards the end of this year, clearly defining what it is we're going to do, how we're going to do it, how we're going to communicate it, and how people can learn about it. Fantastic. Dan, thanks for the update on this. My pleasure, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson.
on the Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. We are going to talk with London's new fire chief after news. And we're also going to find out more about a stop sign in Lucan and Hockeyville's getting closer, right? And there's an interesting story attached to Hockeyville. We'll bring that to you as well. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. This hour, we are heading to Lucan. It is the home of Hockeyville in 2018. It will host a Senators Maple Leafs game. Realize that just because you are named the host of Hockeyville doesn't mean that your Ville is going to host the hockey. It's actually, it's not a rarity, but it's not a certainty either. And Lucan's made it happen, and they've had to do a couple of things in order for that to take place. So we'll get that story, and at the same time, remember the story about Lucan wanting to put in a stoplight to make an intersection safer and running into all kinds of red tape that it would cost a little over $200,000 to get this done, and then by the time you talk with government levels, (laughs) wait a minute, that bill is up to 900000 plus. 200000 900000 Those are different numbers. So we'll get an update on what's happening there. No new decision has been made, but I think we can provide some clarity on that topic. We will also try and provide a little bit of clarity as to how they are getting the kids trapped in the, in the caves in Thailand out. And some of the concerns that do exist... You know, this couldn't help but be a good news story last week when it basically took over. And now it's been a daily update in the news because you had 12 soccer players, very young, and their coach who had actually ignored some signs they shouldn't have ignored, but they ventured too far into a cave system and they got trapped. And the good news story was a British seal diver popping his head up and finding them because they hadn't known exactly where they were at that point. There had been flooding. It's the rainy season right now in Thailand, and this is a pretty precarious situation. So he pops up and he says, how many are you? And somebody yells back, 13. And that's how many there are, 12 players and a coach. So he yells out, brilliant. And then the idea of how were they going to get them out? Would they wait for the water level to drop and then maybe they could walk out the way they came? But that's not necessarily the safest way. Could you drill in somewhere else? Eh, That's also risky. How about teaching them all to scuba dive? Oh, well, that sounds easy. Hi, you're 10 years old? Just a second. Let me give you a couple of scuba diving lessons here, scuba diving lessons here, and you'll be fine. You'll be able to swim out through this dark, dangerous cave. Sure. Well, that's kind of the option that they've chosen, and so far, eight of them have come out. This went from being that really good news story to potentially a not good news story because it was all of a sudden, oh, they're found. And once you find somebody, oh, getting them out, that's the easy part, finding them. That was the tough part, but if you had waited, this could have gone very, very bad. Flooding could have raised the water level to a point that they could have drowned. And bringing them out, we already had one death in trying to get supplies in and trying to start this exercise. So they've been able to get eight of these boys out, and things still aren't all tickety-boo, because... 
you have to remember, they've been in a cave for roughly two weeks. And there are all kinds of things that go with caves that you don't want to have. You don't want to be anywhere near some of the viruses that exist thanks to bats and some of the other critters that are in those caves. And there are some pretty serious things that you can come down with that can lead to meningitis, that can lead to viruses that you can contract that they're nasty. And some of them are fatal. And cave disease is a real thing. So they're now quarantining these boys for one to two days just to make sure that they don't develop any of those symptoms. And then maybe it becomes a much better story. But things are still not, hey, they're out. Hey, let's have a celebration. Nobody's buying a cake just yet. Let's make sure that everything is on the up and up here. And you still have four of the little boys, and they brought the strongest ones out first. So you have four little boys and the coach that could be brought out tomorrow, could be brought out the next day. But it's it's been a fascinating story to follow. At the same time, it's a warning to everybody. When it says, hey, it's the rainy season, don't come past this point. Don't lay down your bikes and then continue on. And then don't put your bags down and continue on. I don't know who was thinking what. It's going to come down to the coach as to why he did this. But these boys have been put in a really tough situation. But it's a good news story that could have gone to a bad news story. Here's hoping that it remains a good news story. So far, so good. But those are the concerns and the complications that exist right now. We are going to go from something that was a very difficult news story, not a good news story, to something that perhaps has become a good news story. If we go back in time, not too far, if we go back to the month of March, we had London's fire chief, John Cabarda, who had been a part of fire services in London for almost 30 years. He all of a sudden left his post and he took retirement. And then all of a sudden we had a third-party investigator, and the third-party investigator was examining workplace harassment at City Hall, and there became some concerns. So it became a pretty difficult situation. Well, today we have an announcement that we have a new fire chief. Now, we've had an interim fire chief for the time being, and that interim fire chief just happened to be Lori Hamer. And it was announced today that she will be stepping into the role permanently as fire chief for the London Fire Department. And in a moment, we're going to be able to speak with her. That's next on London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We have a first in the city of London today. We have London's first female fire chief. This becomes a very big day. And it also comes on the heels of Lori Hamer having served as interim fire chief, where if we look back to March, there was a search that began for a fire chief. And sometimes the best candidate is right there in front of you. Please welcome London's first female fire chief to London Live. Chief Hamer, congratulations. Thank you very much. What kind of a day is this for you? It's been a bit of a hectic day. It's an exciting day, though. I'm extremely humbled and honored to be stepping into this role today. When you went back to the point at which you took over the interim role, 
where was this in your mind? Was it a day on the horizon? Was it one that you weren't sure you wanted? Where would you place it? Uh, no, I would say it was my hope that it was a day on the horizon, and um, I was happy to be a part of the process that led to this day. When you go also back to March, there were some things that were happening. There were allegations of basically a, an absentee fire chief. Uh, there were concerns right. about a, a number of things. How tough was it to step into the position at that point? <laughs> it was definitely uh, difficult to step into that position, but I I think the fact that employee engagement was in the forefront and um, right away I was able to get out and see some of the um, crews and some of the employees in the different divisions that we had that uh, and we continue to have that um, I was able to get the input from the floor as well and from the employees as to what they wanted to see moving forward. What kind of a reception did you get? I got a great reception um, and I have a great respect for the men and women who serve uh, the community as members of the London Fire Department and um, Honestly, I'm committed to working with them moving forward to help us build a strong department. And from everything I've seen, I sense that people are committed to working together moving forward. London's first female fire chief. Joining us on London Live, Chief Laurie Hamer. Chief Hamer, if you were to compare the atmosphere in March with the atmosphere now, what would you say? Hmm. Um, I would say that we have a more open and um, a somewhat trusting environment now. Um, it's still going to take work. Obviously, there's still some things that need to heal from the past. But um, as I said, we co- we're committed to uh, working together. I'm committed to employee engagement and and just gaining the input of the uh, members of the London Fire Department to see what they need to see moving forward um, to have that workplace that's free of harassment and discrimination. And it's a safe workplace for everyone. When you say things from the past, would they be isolated incidents that are dealt with or, or would they be kind of a, an overall feeling? What would it be? I can't speak to the, the um, specific incidents. I can just say that the third party investigation is ongoing. Um, but like I said, I can't speak to specific allegations. Can you update us at all on the third party investigation? Uh, no, other than that it's still ongoing. Okay. Chief Laurie Hammer yeah. joining us. Let's learn a little bit more about you. At one point, okay. at one point, did you kind of decide, you know what, I want to be a firefighter? <laughs> so I started with Kitchener Fire in 1998, and um, I was with Kitchener for 18 years. And um, my career path was a little different in that I started in communications. I was never a firefighter, so I came up the other side. And when the opportunity in 2016 came up for the deputy chief in London, I decided that that was maybe where my career path was going to take me. Now, in terms of of watching a career path unfold, when you come in at at a a different spot than maybe other people who are involved in firefighting do, how do you gain the respect that you have? Because you have done that. How have you done it? I think that uh, knowing that I always wanted to serve the community in some aspect and my journey coming up from communications, it just allows me the ability when I speak to employees of the London Fire Department, regardless of their division, to be able to sometimes look at things through a different lens. And um, I think that has served me well over my uh, tenure here in London, to be able to just have that bigger picture and, and be able to look at it not only from a suppression standpoint, but from the other divisions as well. What brought you to London? Um, I think when the, the, like I said, when the deputy chief position opened in 2016, it was something that I was interested in as my portfolio at the time was training and communications. And it was a phenomenal opportunity for me. So I decided that that was the time to make the move to London. You become London's first female fire chief. 
What does that I mean? I do. To you? What does that mean to you? Um, like I said, I'm humbled and honored to be stepping into the role and working alongside the members of the London Fire Department. It's um, it's an exciting time. It's been a male-dominated um, job place for a long time, and um, I'm just happy to be doing it. I think that anybody stepping into the role, it's a huge learning opportunity for someone, and uh, I'm looking forward to moving forward to build London Fire Department to the fire department that we all know that we are. What exactly do you love about getting up in the morning and, and coming to work in the position of chief? I think for me it's that uh, we never know what to expect. Um, our days are not laid out. Um, sometimes the best laid out day turns out to be something entirely different. And for me that's something that I've always looked for in my job. And every day is, is a challenge. And um, it's also an amazing place to come to work just to work with the people that I work with. Now, a lot of times, if you are on duty, it's, it's that 24-hour-a-day thing. How 24 hours, seven day a week is the role of chief? It is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, obviously, we're here more often um, during business hours, but still a 24-7 job, which um, is what's expected. And uh, like I said, I, I love my job. I love coming to work here, and that's all part of it. Any areas that, that you think you are, are going to be quickly addressing, and, and I don't mean anything to do with the, the investigation that's going, but no. anything else that, uh, that you see that, that you want to, to do, or is it a matter of just, hey, when things come up, things come up? I think it's partly when things come up, but the thing that um, is forefront for me is to continue with the employee engagement piece, to get out and, and speak with all the employees and all the crews to get their input on what they want to see moving forward as well. Um, it's their department as well as mine, so I, I'd really like to have their input. Chief Hammer, thank you so much for all the time. Again, oh, congratulations. you're very welcome. Have thank a great you day. very much. Take care. Bye-bye. That is London's Fire Chief, Lori Hamer, first female fire chief, and did take over in a pretty difficult situation. And, hey, she's someone who is a specialist in communications, and if there is from what we could tell by what was being said back in March and a little bit earlier, that was the issue. It was it was a communication issue. So perhaps that's something that helps to remedy that situation. And as Chief Hammer says, she's going around to all of the local spots and hearing what the concerns are, and we'll deal with it from there. So started in Kitchener, came to London when the deputy chief position opened up, and now continues on. But not exactly someone who, who started as a firefighter and then moved up those ranks. So that's also an interesting road to take. Uh, lots of different things to focus in on coming up. We are going to Lucan because there's a really unique part of the Hockeyville story that I don't think has been told yet. The idea that just because you win the Hockeyville competition, and you get to host an NHL exhibition game, that's not a guarantee that that's going to happen in your town. And we'll also get the latest on the stoplight story in Lucan. There are a couple of stories that come from the weekend that I just, they're they're those head scratchers. They're those stories that when you hear them, you think, really? This, This was a thing? If you ever feel that you are having a bad day or that you get home and you think, oh, That was a horrendous day. You need to think of this story right here. You ready? There was a car crash, okay, in Chicago. And you had, I guess, 
injuries to the point that you needed a medical helicopter to come in. So you've been in a car crash. You're pretty injured. You are alive. You're not suffering from life-threatening injuries, but you've got to be airlifted to the hospital. So picture that. They managed to get you out of your vehicle. They managed to get you into the medical helicopter. It takes off. It flies a little way. And it crashes with you in it. And still, you are not in any life-threatening situation. Everybody was listed in serious to critical condition. Uh, Everybody aboard has since been stabilized, so this should have a relatively happy ending. But you go from being in a crash to all of a sudden being in a second crash in a helicopter. The next time you think you've had a tough day, uh, that's the one. And then, you want to hear the biggest stroke of luck story from the weekend? Well, here it comes. You've got a Florida gas station, and you've got a clerk who is working, and all of a sudden somebody comes in and wanted to buy alcohol. Alcohol sales stop at 3 a.m., It was now about 3.30. Well, the guy who wanted to buy the alcohol was not happy about that particular rule. Didn't really feel that should be a rule. And so he got a little confrontational. And there is a surveillance video, and it's been shared all over social media. This is something that happened in Tampa Bay. David Miller was the guy who was working the counter. And eventually, the guy who wanted to buy the alcohol gets so upset that he punches David in the face and knocked him to the ground. Well, David eventually decided to get himself checked out. You know, did he have a concussion? He got punched in the head. He fell on the ground. And so he went and got himself checked out. And the checkup that he went through actually discovered that he had a brain tumor. Had he not been punched in the head by a guy who has come in looking for alcohol and then got all upset because he wasn't allowed to buy alcohol, that brain tumor might not have been discovered at the early stage that it was discovered. And now David is looking at treatment, and we'll see from here. But the early detection of a brain tumor actually came because David Miller was punched in the head by a guy who was upset that he couldn't buy alcohol at 3.30 in Tampa Bay from a gas station. We have news coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle, and then we will get to Lucan, and we will get to that story. Thank you to everybody who continues to send in ideas on how to throw out a recycling bin. Lots of people have said signs, but here's the thing I think we're going to investigate going forward. Harold had called and said, it may be a plastic that you can't recycle. I hadn't put it in a garbage bag, and you can't just leave garbage out. But Harold pointed out it may not be a recyclable plastic. So I think I'm going to contact the city and find out what constitutes recyclable plastic. Because Rose was trying to throw out broken laundry bins. That wasn't working out. That could be the ticket. News is next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Here is something interesting. Use this around the dinner table tonight. You have a tattoo? I don't have a tattoo. I have no desire to get a tattoo except maybe today maybe something has changed here's something i hadn't thought of before and it's not the happiest topic it deals with when you die but we've got all kinds of issues that do arise with people's wishes right 
And while I trust my family members wholeheartedly, this would guarantee it. If you have wishes for things that you want or things that you don't want, in other words, if you would like a DNR, if you would like a do not resuscitate, how do you get that through to people? Because in a time of real concern, a lot of times family members will say, yeah, 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 I know that's his wish, but... You know what? That's not my wish. And I'm going to call the shot right now. So please do what you can to save this person, even if it means machines keep them alive for a long, long time. So here's something that has been brought up. A medical ethicist at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital says the best thing you can do, of course, is to put your wishes in writing. Well, you can have that somewhere, but who knows where you keep your will and We don't have time to go and run and get that. We've got to make a decision now. What should we do? What do they want? What if you've never had the conversation before? Here's the idea. You take your wish and you tattoo it on your body. You put the letters DNR, let's say, on your wrist. And then you have a permanent do not resuscitate on your wrist. Now. The guy who thought this up, the medical ethicist, Dr. Dominic Sisti, University of Pennsylvania Hospital, does admit doctors might be leery to follow a tattoo, but you could at least open the discussion with a patient's family because, yeah, okay, DNR can mean do not resuscitate. It can also mean David Nathaniel Robertson. Yeah, that's his, that's his name. David Nathaniel Robertson, he's got his initials tattooed on his wrist. But would you go to a length? Maybe it's not a do not resuscitate. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's that painting that you have that's worth a million dollars in your home and you want to make sure it goes to one specific person so you tattoo the painting goes to Gordy and you put that on your arm. And I don't know how legal this would be, but we should probably grab a lawyer at some point and try and figure that out. What do you think? I would be interested to know. Would there be any legality to you tattooing something of your wishes on your body so that if you were incapacitated, you could not tell anybody what it is that you wanted, it would be there in ink forever? Think about it. Next up, we'll head to Logan. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You would think that if politicians were on board to put a stoplight in an intersection where a stoplight should probably be, make things safer, wouldn't take much more than a rubber stamp, right? What is the best way to get a streetlight on your street if you don't have one? Know a politician. That is the best way. Then you make that argument. They make that argument. Next thing you know, your street is well lit. So... When we look to Lucan and the fact that they are still waiting to get a stoplight at the corner of Highway 4 and Saintsbury, we can go back to a story that you can find on globalnews.ca and at 980cfpl.ca that deals with the cost, where it could cost somewhere between $250,000 and maybe right around a million. And that was the story for a little while, and that really stalled the project. Because Luke and Bidolf Township, 
not really interested in spending enormous money on this when they seem to think they're able to at least put the stoplight up for 250000 Well, as soon as the province got involved, it was, yeah, but you need a turn lane, you need some sidewalks, all this needs to be done, and it jacked up the price. So we're going to get an update on that story, but as well, Lucan is the home of Hockeyville. And they will be hosting the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. They'll be playing a preseason game in Lucan in September. And there are some things to talk about as far as that story goes as well. Joining us right now is the mayor of Lucan Bidolf Township, Kathy Berghart Jessen, who has been going through a final walkthrough for Hockeyville and is also able to update us on the stoplight issue. Kathy, how are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you on this beautiful Monday afternoon? Well, I'm I'm not really thinking hockey right now, but I know we have to talk about that. And we also have to get the latest on the stoplight. But before we even get to that, you are doing kind of final preparations for Hockeyville. Yes. And, you know, it's never too early to talk about hockey. I think you will agree with me on that, Mike. Um, it's a very exciting time for us here in Lucan. Uh, we have our Hockeyville partners here today, um, and we're doing this final site visit for the arena and the grounds around our community center to really finalize how that piece of property is going to look uh, the day that we welcome uh, Toronto and Ottawa to our town for our Hockeyville game. So it's very exciting. Um, um, and uh, it, it's just, it's great. It's going to be so exciting to watch this unfold. How much has to change? So, um, a lot actually has to change. Um, I think it's, to put this in context, uh, we as a municipality had already been planning a major renovation on our arena and community center, and that's really what kick-started us to get involved in the Hockeyville program. Um, one of the things that uh, we um, had in our plans for the renovation was replacing our over 40-year-old boards and glass. And um, that really was uh, the um, significant piece of infrastructure that we had to replace in order to get the game to be played in Lucan. So we were planning on replacing the boards and glass in about three years, two to three years, and we've just moved that up. So um, our arena staff um, has been in the hot, hot summer days, been ripping out all the boards and taking down the glass, and we that is, that is probably the biggest thing that will be happening um, in the um, actual bowl part of the arena. So it's very exciting. Um, it's going to look very different to our hockey players and our residents. Um, and uh, then there's a few other things that we've got um, that we're going to be added. But of course, we're waiting for the game to unveil those. Okay, excellent. Mayor of Lucan Bidolf, Kathy Burghardt Jessen, with us. We are again going to talk about the stoplight. When you look at the game between Toronto and Ottawa, was there ever a concern that it, it couldn't be played in Lucan, or was that kind of a green light from the get-go? No, no, it certainly was not a green light uh, from the start. Um, so Kraft has been running this program for about 11 years, and in less than 50% of the games have they actually been able to hold the game in the winning community. Um, you know, and it's really not from a capacity standpoint that they're worried about. The NHL, I mean, it's their product, uh, the NHL PA 
they're their players. So it's a matter of safety. It's a matter of can the rink actually um, do they have the the, the the size dimensions for an NHL game. So all those things have to be taken into consideration. And uh, we certainly did not know until um, probably as almost two months after the announcement that the game was actually going to be able to play be played in Lucan. Um, so it's very exciting. Um, and as I say, it doesn't happen very often. And uh, we've worked side-by-side side with the NHL and the NHLPA to make sure that the game between Toronto Toronto and Ottawa will be safe for the players um, and will be an exciting uh, product on the ice. What a huge victory then when you look at, at it not necessarily being a guarantee that it would be played in your building. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this really, you know, it. Um, this will be something that, you know, kids will remember forever. You know, there's quite a history of hockey in our community. Um, back over 60 years ago, the Montreal Canadiens came through. It was a southwestern Ontario um, hockey uh, flow-through, so to speak. And they stopped in Lucan, and they played, like, they literally played a team of men it, like that were part of a pickup league. And they played in the Lucan Arena. Um, and, you know, people still talk about that today. So I know having the Battle of Ontario, this will not be forgotten. And it really is. We're just so thrilled that we were able to work with the Hockeyville partners and make this work. We're talking with Kathy Berghardt, Jason, Mayor of Bidolf, Lucan Township. Let's turn to another branch of Lucan that reaches, it looks like, toward Toronto. There, There is a move to get a stoplight put into an intersection that really needs a stoplight, and you've outlined for us before how challenging that has been. What is the latest on that, Kathy? So there's not a lot to necessarily update everybody. However, tonight at tonight's council meeting, um, we're going to be um, welcoming a group of concerned citizens um, that are presenting a delegation to us, outlining their concerns as to why the community needs a light at that particular intersection. And, um, you know, so we'll be welcoming them. I think we're all on the same page. But what is great is that... um, Really, up until now, while there's been a lot of talk in the community, at the grocery store, at the variety store, at the gas station, um, about the need for a light, there hasn't been this sort of grassroots movement where an, a group of citizens have come together in an organized fashion. And I think this really is the game changer. I mean, this is what's garnered all of this media attention in the last, you know, five weeks, so to speak. And um, so they're going to have our ear. And they're presenting, I believe, a petition, if I um, have my information correct, uh, with a number of signatures on that. Um, and they'll also be asking us to really push for a public meeting uh, between us, uh, county representatives, and Monty McNaughton, our MPP, who you've recently had on your show um, and is the, now the new Minister of Infrastructure. And you know what? Mr. McNaughton had mentioned at the time that he outlined all of the communities in Ontario, and he said each and every one of them seems to have, you know, requests or desires, and it's up to him to go through it. Here's just another one, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, thank, thankfully for us, and I, and I really do hope it um, is, helps us uh, through this, 
is that we've had a relationship with Monty, and um, he's well aware, he's been well aware of our concerns, um, certainly in the last four years where I've pushed it. But, I mean, he can take this back to when he was first elected seven, eight years ago. Uh, he knows that he's had conversations with residents as far back as then. So I'm hoping that that relationship will help us in getting this to move forward. Um, I, I, I want to stress, you know, the MTO is looking to do the whole project all at once, and that's where the price discrepancy comes out. You know, for us, putting a light in costs about two hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000. And um, we don't dispute that upgrades need to be done at that intersection, but they need to be done in a timely manner when the road is going to be reconstructed, and that's budgeted to be done in three, three to four years. And so that's where the real problem is. That's a sticking point between um, how we see the project moving forward. We don't dispute that we need sidewalks, and we don't dispute that we need turning lanes, but we've budgeted that for three to four years from now, and, um, you know, those are things that um, are required of us. We have to, to do that. We have to provide an asset management plan, and we've done that. We've done everything that the MTO has required of us, and now they're demanding that in order to get the light, it needs to be pushed up, and that's just something we can't afford at this time. Very rarely does anyone paint their entire house at the same time. For that very reason, it's a little too expensive. Go room by room. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that's the thing. We think, we've, we think that uh, the light is of utmost importance. I mean, just this morning, I uh, had a discussion with one of our councillors from, uh, from uh, uh, town council, and he had a near miss at that very uh, corner this, this weekend. So the light needs to go in uh, before something awful happens. Kathy, thank you so much for all of your time. Good luck with the meeting tonight, and good luck with the final run-throughs for Hockeyville. Great. We appreciate the support, uh, Mike, that you've given us and uh, for listening to me and just uh, being able to share where we are with this. We'll keep following the story. All the best. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. The mayor of Luke and Biddulph Township, Kathy Burghardt-Jesson. So look at this story because this ultimately boils down to rules, right? The MTO, Ministry of Transportation, is saying you need to have all of these things done at the same time, and that's the way we want to see it done. And you have the township saying, yeah, but we're not in a position to pay for all of those things to be done at the same time. Can we do these one after the other over a course of what? Two to three, three to five years, whatever they can manage in their budget. And the Ministry of Transportation comes back with, no, these are the rules that we have. Our society works really well with rules. It really does. But sometimes you have to step away from those rules and say, okay, there are rules, but let's also look at reality. If you've got a township that does not have big bucks to do everything at once, but could actually make something safer, why wouldn't you let them do it? It's not bending rules. It's simply looking at a situation and saying, okay, is it going to be a big deal if there aren't sidewalks there? I don't see a reason why it would. Is it going to be a really big deal if we don't have a turning lane right now? I don't see why it would. But as Kathy just pointed out, 
there was someone who, again, recorded a near miss. Eventually, it's not going to be a near miss that you're talking about. If you're looking at an intersection that really needs a stoplight, then what are you waiting for? Do we have to have somebody get involved in a crash and then say, hey, you know what? That crash prompted us to reexamine this and we're realizing, yeah, there should be a... That's not the point you want to get to. So why is it being left to be like that? I don't get it. I really don't. So there is a concerned citizens group that has a petition. I'm not sure if you can present that to the ministry because I find more and more government agencies are inflexible. And I don't like that. I don't like the inflexibility. This is just the way it is. These are the rules. Stop talking. Don't want to hear it. This is the way it is. You've got it. Humans are case-by-case basis. We really are. Whether you like it or whether you don't. Humans are case-by-case basis. And this one doesn't fit into a box. Very few do. But it's, in my mind, being made to fit in a box. That's not fair. We'll take our final break, close out the show in just a moment. Have a little bit more on the tattoo stuff on your arms so that people know about you. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. About 20 minutes ago, we were talking about a medical ethicist named Dr. Dominic Sisti, who had said, maybe if you wanted, say, a do not resuscitate, you should tattoo that on your arm. How useful medical information and desires would be. And Andrew, who is working the show today as the producer, pointed out he's got, you know, some buddies who, instead of wearing, say, a medical alert bracelet... You tattoo that information on your arm. That's that's brilliant stuff. Thanks to Andrew. Coming up next, we have Jacqueline LaBelle and news. This has been London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.